Good morning. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Good morning, worship team. Good morning, church. If you can see me or hear my voice, you're at church. So uh, put it down. <laughs> um, no, uh, we love you and we miss you. And we are praying for you. And not just for you and just for us, but for the whole world. Uh, for God so loved the world. And he is teaching us how to love the world again. Um, so yeah, we're, we're going to pray for healing and mercy for all, okay? Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, your love for the whole world, your creation, us, has been proven by your sending your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, to suffer and die on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. And we ask for as much mercy and healing as we can stand at this time. Increase our capacity for this mercy so we can hold more and more, not to hoard it, but to share it with everyone. Change us and use us. And let us hear your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> right, so today starts Holy Week. It's the week before Easter where we study and contemplate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem and everything that happens leading up to his crucifixion. And next week, we celebrate Easter, Christ's resurrection, yeah? And it will probably feel different than usual. It will feel different to celebrate it together, but apart. But that will not diminish Christ's resurrection. And we shouldn't let it diminish our celebration. And this year's celebration, it will be more intimate than we're used to. Um, but no less grand. And there's a temptation to feel disappointed in all of this. And uh, spoiler alert, today's sermon is about disappointment. But there is a temptation to feel disappointment that we can't celebrate Easter together. You know, with choirs and with new Easter frocks and bonnets. Like, I'm bummed that I won't get to wear my new Easter dress. I know. I know. You know what? It's a sailor dress. It's a sailor dress. Do they make sailor dresses for adults? Please, I hope not. Surely not. Um, well, here's my promise to you. If I ever do see a grown woman wearing a, a sailor dress, I'm going to go up to her <laughs> and ask her when we ship out, right? I want to say something. Anchors away, matey. <laughs> That is not in my sermon. <laughs> okay, um, right. So there will be a temptation to feel disappointed in our Easter celebration, but um, let's not make our traditions, our traditions, an idol. And let's learn to hold on loosely to our traditions and instead follow what God is doing right now. And... 
there may also be a temptation for us to gather anyway, right? It's our holiday. It's the one we look forward to all year. Um, but if you are tempted to gather together, please don't. If you say you are pro-life, prove it and stay home. This year, we get to celebrate Easter in a new way. And Christ's resurrection will not be diminished at all. Amen? <laughs> I cannot believe that I have become one of those preachers <laughs> that says amen <laughs> in the middle of a sermon and not at the end of a prayer. <laughs> all right, so today is Palm Sunday, and I love Palm Sunday. I am a nerd, I am a lectionary nerd, and I love Palm Sunday. I love Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Because it's a massive celebration where Jesus, our Savior, is king. And he rides in a victory parade. But not on a war horse like an earthly king. But he rides in on a small, untrained, awkward donkey. And he doesn't have an army holding up flags and banners with his symbols on it and his kingdom on it. Instead... It's common people like you and me. And they're waving temporary palm branches. And their cloaks. They're waving their laundry. Our King of King and Lord of Lords is that humble. And despite this very cheap looking display, the people. So many people, they cheer for Jesus and they cry out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Hosanna is the Greek word, but it comes from two Hebrew words that are found in the Psalms. And the two words, I'm not going to get too deep into this, but the two words, they mean save or help us, right? And it comes from the same root as Jesus's name. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, that Jesus's name is salvation. And the other word means please or now. Do we have a word that means please or now? Like one's a request and one's a demand, you know? May I have the last donut, please, now? <laughs> uh, but I think parents have this, like especially moms, and it's more of a tone, okay, right? Like when she says, uh, go clean your room, please, it means now. And uh, take the trash out, please, it's definitely now. So the people cry out, Hosanna, save us now. Help us, please. And they want a savior. They want a king to rescue them from their joke of a king, King Herod, and from Rome. They want to be saved, and they cry out for it. And they shook the whole city with their cries. In Matthew 21, 10, 
It says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And that word stirred, it means shaken. It's the same word that's used in Matthew 27, 51, at the moment of Jesus' death. And it says, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rock split. So the people's cries, it stirred the city. It shook it. And they believed he was their king, their savior. They believed it that hard, enough to shake a city. Son of David, save us now. So how do you think the city leaders and the religious leaders felt about this parade? Mm. So let's see what happens. Today's gospel lesson is uh, Matthew, and it's like chapter 26 and 27. And uh, do not worry, I'm not reading two chapters. I know, right? And they're long chapters, too. They're not like little ones, you know, like little minis. No, this, this is a lot. Um, I'm just going to read a bit of Matthew 27, starting at verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But Jesus gave him no answer, not even to a single charge. So the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, and this is Passover, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. And besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, and remember, these people can shake a whole town, He took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having whipped Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Now, there is a lot in this passage, right? We could talk about Pilate the Roman governor holding this court, and the fact that he is amazed by Jesus. And he knows he's not guilty. And he knows the chief priests and the the elders were envious of Jesus. We could talk about envy. It's one of those deadly sins, isn't it? You see it right here. 
Or we could talk about Pilate's wife having some kind of dream about Jesus. And like, I wonder how often she sent messages to Pilate during a court proceeding, you know, about bad dreams that she's had over a defendant she's never met. We could talk about the weird custom of freeing a prisoner during Passover. That wasn't one of God's ideas. This was something added later. And we could talk about Pilate washing his hands and saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. Like, just because we say something, it doesn't mean it's true. And I think there's some world leaders who could benefit from that truth. We could talk about the vengefulness of the people willing to curse themselves and their children. His blood be on us and on our children. Why would you do that? But as I mentioned earlier, this sermon is about disappointment. (laughs) So let's look at how the people went from Hosanna to the son of David. Save us now. To just a few days later, crucify him. So Jesus had been traveling around for three years preaching about his father's kingdom and about repentance. And he has miraculously healed many people. And he has fed many people. And he has cast out demons and raised the dead. And the people know this. He is famous. The people have heard it and they've seen it for themselves. And they have seen him challenge the Pharisees and the law experts. And he accuses them of being hypocrites and show-offs. And he's accused them of oppressing the people instead of serving them. And so the people, they're like, this is our guy. Finally, our king, save us now, Jesus. But then he gets betrayed. You know, and I'm sure, I'm sure rumors went out that night, early that morning. Wait, like, Jesus was sold out by one of his closest friends? How does that happen? He's our king. That's weird. And then he's taken to a secret religious court in the night, and they accuse him of blasphemy. So they send him to the Roman civil court first thing in the morning. And I'm sure the word was still on the street then. Like, did you hear? They took Jesus to Pilate to be judged. He was tied up. Like, what? You don't tie up a king? Are you sure? And at the civil public trial, they see Jesus accused and he doesn't defend himself. I mean, even Pilate is like, you're not going to say anything in your defense? Like, that's a bad move, bro. I quoted that directly from Matthew. (laughs) And so you know the crowd is full of doubt. Jesus won't even save himself. How is he going to save us if he won't even save himself? I'm not sure he's a king at all. And the disappointment, it's building and it's building And finally, they're put over the edge 
Verse 20 says, The chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The leaders and the elders fuel their disappointment. They still have power. Hey, you were tricked. Jesus lied to all of you. He's not a king. Look at him. How dare he trick you? You should punish him. You know what? You should show him what we do to liars around here. And you know, sure, Barabbas, he killed someone. But he was part of the insurrection. He killed a Roman. He doesn't like the Romans any more than you do. He was just brave enough to rebel. He's one of us. Ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And they did. They went from Hosanna, save us, to crucify him. All from disappointment. Now, disappointment is not a sin. I'll say that again. Disappointment is not a sin. But what we do with it, that's what can get us into trouble. And disappointment comes from unmet expectations. It's pretty simple. And this crowd, they wanted an earthly king. And they wanted free from Roman rule. And they wanted Israel to be whole again. And none of those things are bad things. It's just, God wasn't doing those things. So what about us? What about today? What does it look like out there today? And how many of us have felt disappointment because something we prayed for didn't come to pass? I think every single one of us, multiple times. So if disappointment comes from unmet expectations, then what do we expect from God? Why do we pray? What are we expecting? And are we often disappointed because we use prayer as a wish list? I'm not saying it's wrong to want things or to ask for things. I will never tell you that. But what are we praying for? And here's what I want you to think about this week. And I'll throw myself under the bus here. I won't use the pronoun you or we. I'll say I. Um, and I think I've talked about this with Liz before. But if God answered yes to every prayer I prayed, right? If he said yes to all that I had asked for, would the world be a better place? Or would it just make my life easier? I mean, I know the answer to that, but I'm afraid of the extent of the answer to that. So are we mostly praying for our benefit? How can we change this? How can we grow up? How can we pray expectantly but without expectation? I don't know. <laughs> what do we do with our disappointment? 
In John chapter 11, Jesus finds out that his friend Lazarus has died. So he goes to Bethany where the family is. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, they had sent word to Jesus that their brother Lazarus was sick. But Jesus waited. He's two miles away, and he waits days. He gets there four days after Lazarus has died. And we know how this ends. But it still messes with me. In verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, he was deeply moved. Sorry, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. The two sisters meet with Jesus separately, and they both say the same thing to him. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Disappointment comes from unmet expectations. They tell Jesus, they tell God, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. And the difference between the disappointment of these sisters and the disappointment of the crowd who wants to murder Jesus is the sisters have great faith and they know their Savior. Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then she has a conversation with Jesus. And even through her disappointment, she professes great faith. Yes, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God. And when Mary comes to Jesus, she falls at his feet, just like the last time she saw Jesus before her brother died. Do you remember? 
Mary broke open a full jar of expensive perfume and anointed Jesus' feet and washed them with her hair. And here she is at his feet again. But this time, in disappointment and despair and grief, Lord, if you had been here, Have you ever said that to God? I have, yeah. If you don't think I asked for a miracle for mom, and if you think that I don't know that you all asked for a miracle, and if you think I did not ask him, where are you daily? It is okay to ask for healing, and it is okay to ask for miracles. And it is okay to feel disappointed. Mary and Martha asked for Jesus to come because they knew he could heal their sick brother. And when he shows up four days too late, they say the most authentic thing you could say. If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. They say things to God that we don't say enough in church. If you had been here, Jesus, where are you, Jesus? Where were you? And it takes faith to say these things. And God is not offended. Jesus doesn't yell at them. He doesn't say, how dare you talk to me like that? I can do whatever I like. I'm God. And he doesn't make excuses or cast blame. And he doesn't say, well, if only you'd had enough faith. He doesn't say stupid things like, oh, don't worry, time heals all wounds. They say, Lord, if you had been here. And it is a prayer. They're saying this to God. And they're giving their disappointment to him. And he doesn't get mad. He weeps with them. And he weeps because sometimes, in some seasons, there are no words. And right now, the world feels like it's on fire. And this virus is unrelenting. We don't have a cure. And there's a shortage of everything from medical stuff to rest to common sense and kindness. <laughs> and the numbers of the dead, they go up and up and up and up every single day. And everything is hard. And we can't comfort each other in all the ways that we're used to doing. We have to stay away. And everyone's stress meter is cranked to 11. And it only goes to five. I don't even know how they got an 11 on there. So right now, sometimes it feels like God must be asleep. But that's not true. Do you remember when Jesus prayed in the garden and he asked the disciples to stay awake and keep watch while he prayed? And they couldn't stay awake. And we can't either, right? 
What does he say? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But we have a God who prays while we sleep. And we have a God who understands our disappointment, grief, and despair. When he hung on the cross, and he asked God, he asked himself, why do you forsake me? That was real. So he doesn't judge us. He weeps with us. And we have a God who is salvation. And we can cry out, Hosanna, save us now. And we should be crying that out. Okay, that's enough. (laughs) I'm... (laughs) I'm going to stop there because I, uh, I'm going to stop. Should I sum up? Do I need to sum this up? Uh, I think I just did. Give God your disappointments. Your faith allows you to, and that's a gift. And it is a prayer to do it. Our honesty to God, it moves him. Martha and Mary's honesty, it moved Jesus, and he felt what they felt, and he wept with them. So keep praying to God. We need to cry Hosanna until the whole world shakes. And we need to do so expectantly, but without expectation so we can follow him and do what he is doing right now. Let's pray. Father, even in all of this chaos of sickness and loss, we can say that you are good. Thank you for the gift of faith. We want to use it well. And we're sorry for our hard hearts. We're sorry when our disappointment turns into contempt. Please forgive us. And help us have soft hearts so we can give our disappointment to you. We want to grow up. And we want to be like Mary and Martha who profess their faith even as their world turned upside down. And Lord, the world feels upside down right now. Please keep helping Please keep giving us ideas. We trust your love for us, the whole world. Holy Spirit, please help us navigate this. Please give us prayers to pray, not to benefit our own lives, but to do God's work and give God glory. Thank you. Jesus, thank you for pouring out your life for ours. Thank you for showing us how to live We want to live like you. So again, Almighty God, we ask for as much healing and mercy as the world can stand at this time. Increase our capacity for mercy so we can share it more and more. Change us and use us. We love you, God, and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.